I don't understand this power edge thing. And I, what about those attachments? Which attachments should we use? And especially back before we even had any of this stuff, people had no idea. And that was why they didn't do Invisalign. Because if you didn't have the right attachment, it wasn't going to work. Well, that's not the reason it didn't work. So being in Costa Rica and seeing all those clean chicks, I got to see the good, the bad, and the, there wasn't that much ugly. That's the beautiful thing about Invisalign. You don't get that extreme. But there's, it's so much nicer to know that you can drive this thing, GPS it, and find out where you're going on every single one of the cases. So these are probably, and you've got this in your handout, and it's really important that I get these two main principles, goals, off to you today. Critical. This should make the difference between less refinements, less mid-course corrections, treating cases to optimum results seriously. I believe that as we build on this, this is going to drive it. And it's already starting to happen. So let's just talk just for two seconds about this. And really what we're going to do is we're going to talk about basic principles. You're saying, I didn't come here for an orthodontic course. In fact, I thought Invisalign just drove itself. And I think that's where maybe we've run into some situations in the past. But what we want to do is to find out and look at those fundamental principles which are so simple, you're going to look at them and say, is that really all there is to orthodontics? Yeah. And then we're going to take those and we're going to put them into unique principles of the aligners. In other words, what do the aligners offer? How can those aligners actually make these basic principles work for us? So let's look at our team. And if we, each parts of the team, there's going to be different things in there that are really important. So we're going to look at these four different sections. And when we look at attachments, again, I'm not going to sit here and we're going to go over every single little force thing. I don't think that needs to be done. That's all done by the software. You need to get the basics out of this. So I sort of divided them into three groups. Optimized, obviously, is fully driven, fully programmed. It's been tested. It works. In fact, if you talk to the engineers that do this, they say we could rotate a two 360 degrees without any problem whatsoever. All we need to do is just make sure that we've got the bio biology and the environment. And that's the key. The biology and the environment to be able to do this. this the correct situation. So all of this stuff has been tested and it's continually being tested. But how, look at how we've taken G3 and G4, and what we've done is we've taken individual tooth movements. People talk to me all the time. I don't understand that individual tooth movement. Today is not about individual tooth movements. Today is about multiple tooth movements taking place at the same time. Then we talk about standard attachments. Standard attachments actually came about through doctors. In other words, best practices. Some of you were probably out there. You had an idea. Some people had the tea attachment. Some people had the dog bowl attachment. Some people had all kinds of designs you could ever imagine, and they figured that was going to work on that case without any science behind it. But what we did is we took the best of the bunch, and there was like over 200 of them, maybe even more, and we put them into standard attachments that we knew would work when optimized attachments can't be used. So that's why in like a lower incisor extraction case, those attachments, those rectangular attachments are not optimized. They're there because that's the best we've got to move those roots. In the future, will there be more optimized? Absolutely. 
In fact, there will be, even the optimized attachments we have now have changed, as you guys know. So these are software generated in many cases. Doesn't mean you can't move, put these on. With the optimized attachments, you can't change the position. You can't change the shape. But what can you do? And this is what the question's going to be. How can I make those optimized attachments work for me in my favor, not only for individual tooth movements, but for multiple changes? And then if we look at the optimized attachments that people have come up with, we take a rectangular attachment. What people said, well, is if I took that rectangular attachment and I created this, buried this part of that attachment into the tooth, I would create a bevel. Ah, a bevel, an active tooth surface, just like the optimized attachments. But is that the correct position on the tooth? Is that the correct angle? What's correct? Nobody knows. Did they work? Sometimes. And the reason they worked sometimes was because you had what? The fundamental orthodontic principles in the case. So people would look and they'd say, I just finished a case using those same attachments. It worked out perfect. Now, this one's not working out. What's the problem? I said, fundamental principles. And we're going to talk about what those are. So you can see, and I think that those are still available and people use them for all kinds of things. And they do sort of resemble optimized attachments that are out there because they've got some of the basic design principles, but no science built behind it. So when we look at the common features of optimized attachments, this is the key. I want everybody to be awake, sharp, looking at this stuff. This is going to make a huge difference. All the other lectures are fantastic. There's no doubt about it. But if you can't move the tooth in the right spot, it's not going to help your bottom line in your practice, right? So, number one, this is the important part of the attachment right here. The rest of this we'll talk about, but this is the important part. Do you need to know the angle? Do you need to know it? Nothing. You don't need to know. That's all programmed into every single tooth movement. So you don't need to know anything about that other than this area has to be clean and clear and you've got to have that bonded on the tooth correctly. That's the area you don't touch. Where on that tooth should it be pushing? Where on that beveled surface should it be pushing? Multiple different areas during, multi during the whole treatment. Do you need to worry about that? The only thing you need to worry about is to make sure that the aligner is contacting those areas. And now with the new smart track material, it's a no-brainer. This part of the attachment is bulk. Can't just have one little uh, a, a saucer-type elliptical area. You've got to have support so that you can support the forces that are going to be applied. Did anybody know this? How many of you are aware of it? That the size of the attachment is smaller than the space in the aligner. Why? So it's got the freedom. Is every single anatomy the same in every patient? Is the biology the same? No. Could it mean that while we're doing extrusion, this is an extrusion attached, while we're putting force here, could it mean that maybe that tooth needs to move a little bit mesial distal and maybe it needs to tip a little bit in, even though that is there to do pure extrusion? To have that freedom built in there is huge. We call it slop, but it's not slop because the forces are still need to be applied 
on the attachment. So it's beautiful the way things are built into it. And don't be alarmed. So this area right here, so people say, does my flash, what happens if I have a little bit? Now, I'm not talking about these ones where you can't tell it's an attachment, right? And when you put the loops on, it's scary. I thought I was pretty good, and you'd put it on, you're like, oh my gosh, you know, this is incredible. And I was really meticulous. So you do have to get that technique down. And again, we're not going to talk about that today. But what it does is if you have a little bit of flash around there, it's not that big of a deal. If you have flash on the active surface, that's a big deal. So you can see right here, look at that amount of give. Beautiful. That's going to allow this thing to move wherever you want, but you've got to have the basic principles, basic principles. Otherwise, it doesn't matter. You, that tooth doesn't matter how much space you've got in there if the tooth isn't moving in the right direction. The other thing is you need coupling of forces. Every single time you need to push on a tooth, you've got to have another force somewhere else because otherwise it's just going to move wherever it wants to go. And especially when you have that space in the aligner and you've got couple, no coupling of forces, then that tooth may move in a lot of directions and that's what we call a lot of times out of control. So to get control, and that's why now when people talk about can you move roots, I'm going to show you. It's the most incredible appliance in the world to move roots. When I first took my training, we were showing cases where we couldn't even align a lower incisor with proclination because none of it was built into it, the system. Another, another example of coupling of forces, right here. While we're pushing down on those attachments, it's putting force on the posterior. There's going to be a lecture by Dr. Nancy Ward talking about a closing open bites. When you go around the orthodontic community in the world right now and you ask them what's the best appliance in the world for closing anterior open bites that are not true, true skeletal, what will they tell you? Invisalign. In fact, the leaders now at the universities, I go around all the universities and I'm talking to them, it's like, well, you've got to come. You've got to teach us. You've got to let us know. That. I mean, the students, surgery, do you know what it costs to have orthognathic surgery in this country? 60000 And that's with insurance? So you can just imagine. So when you start to look at what you can do, and it's all based upon coupling of forces, but basic principles. So it doesn't mean we have to have an attachment. We can use the aligner at the same time. And that case was closed down in less than a year using exactly those principles. Are these straightforward? Are these a piece of cake? It's like these mild crowded? It's like, yes, yeah, this is mild crowded. Oh, yeah, it is mild crowded, right? Oh, you mean there's an open bite? Oh, well, that's the easy part of the treatment. The crowding is probably more difficult. And as you can see right here, and you know what's interesting about this case, which you don't know? You see all those optimized attachments that are placed on there? I went in, and if you look at the, where you can see where we've kind of trimmed off the other sort of attachments, I actually treated that case without optimized attachments. And how did I do it? Basic principles. Move teeth out, move them up with the aligner, and I just anchored something on the teeth. So will the optimized attachments make it even easier to treat these cases? <laughs> I mean, seriously. You can tell that it's, it's a real a passion of mine to make sure that we understand that. We also have aligner features. 
Not only do we have optimized attachments, but we've got aligner features that are there to make sure that the optimized attachments work as well. So it's like we've got space in the aligner, we've got optimized attachments that are customly made for each tooth, customized for each tooth, and on top of that, we're going to ensure it by adding extra things into the aligner, like the pre-activation site. So built into the aligners, while we're extruding these teeth, we just put a little, little, little indentation in there. And that little indentation makes sure that that tooth continually seats in the aligner. That's why when people ask, what happens if an attachment comes off? Can I actually use the same aligner to bond it back on? Not really. Because it has this pre-activation built into it. With no pre-activation, there was always, even though there's some slop right here, as we mentioned, some space right here, we want to make sure that there is always force on that active surface. And that little, believe it or not, that little indentation is not the same from aligner to aligner. It changes along with the force level. Power Ridge is another feature. Did you know there's a book? I just bought it at the AAO meeting, the American Association of Orthodontic meeting, on brackets. So I'm giving a lecture to the territory manager or the sales team on Monday about what's changed in traditional fixed appliance therapy. And I go all the way back to actually the mummies, and I take it all the way up to 2013, July 11th. Very little. Add a little extra slot. Maybe put a clip on there. Maybe use a different type of wire to tie it in. Almost nothing has changed. Seriously. And that's, it's not, I'm nothing against them. But what it boils down to is that, and the reason is that brackets are based on a tooth. And the closer you can be to the tooth, the closer you can get to the tooth to apply a force, the better you're going to move that tooth. And the closer we can get to the center of resistance, so in other words, up at the gingival level, there's a force here that gets us closer to the center of resistance, center of rotation. We can move roots like crazy because we can put that force. A force that comes out here in space out here, almost impossible. Unless you burn a root at the same time you're moving it. So optimized attachments, absolutely critical, built into the system. So all these innovations, what I'm doing right now is building in all this information in you so that you believe that we have the right innovation. And now, I'm, later, I'm just going to bring those basic principles in there. And you're going to say, wow, that makes it so much understand, such better understanding of how that's supposed to work. Also in the lower, we've added some uh, power ridges. Very, very seldom do you use these. And I want you to listen to me right now. If you get a ClinCheck back and you've got a lower power ridge, you want to look at that very, very closely. Because a lower power ridge is doing what to the root? moving the root towards the lingual. How often do we do this type of torque movement? Not very often. Usually in crowding cases, the root is lingual and you want to bring it forward. So you want to always watch that real closely. And I'm assuming, assuming as a company, we'll eventually be you know, sort of working in that area to make it, make it work better. Also, how many of you have used precision cuts? If you've listened to my class two lecture, most certainly you can use them in class ones, you can use them in class twos, threes, whatever. They're there to settle bites. 
it's fantastic to be able to go in and adjust and make cuts in the aligners that will give you a chance to hook something to it. Gone are the toenail clippers, right? Revlon stock just went down because of that. So most certainly having that availability is incredible. Button cutouts. You know, you can actually change the position. Did you guys know you can ask the technician to move that more mesial or distally depending on what you want to do? So being able to build all that into the system, customization, fantastic. And also the things that we've had in the past. Let's not forget about superimposition. We're going to use it throughout the day to look at tooth movements. Let's not forget about the grid. I don't use it that often at all, but sometimes, maybe. How many of you actually use the grid? I'm just uh, quick. Okay, so you guys have got to come up and give the next lecture. No, I'm just kidding. And probably the most misused or not used is the tooth movement assessment, which is found underneath the treatment tab. Treatment overview, but tooth movement assessment. What it's going to do is just bring up any red flags. If for whatever reason, at the end of today, as you look at all those basic principles and the innovations, you go to the movement assessment and it comes up with blues or blacks, doesn't mean you can't treat the case. What it means is you're going to go back and confirm that. You may even actually call somebody from Costa Rica and say, hey, is, could you tell me why those movements are taking place? But let's get to the meat of today. The attachments, the G3, G4, fantastic, love them. Absolutely, allow me to treat much more complicated cases, allows me to do everything. But how about the system? Here's what I think we've missed so many times. When doctors used to call me on the phone, I'd say, what about the basic fundamental principles of this tooth movement? And the ones that continue to you know, learn that and continue to get more information in that area understood what to do. So having innovation at the top, it's the icing on the cake. But without these, and what you guys are doing is investing in this area right here, is going to allow us to reach the summit, right? You're here, but not yet. This is what we've done many times in the past, that, hey, we've got G3. You don't have to think anymore. And then, on one case, it worked perfect. And everybody I talked to, yeah, the first case I started was a spacing case, and I tell you to close the space, I thought I would wouldn't even ever have to even, you know, make any changes on a ClinCheck ever again. But really what we want to do is build upon this and make sure that you have all these basic fundamental principles. And here's what they are. And you would not find this in any textbook of orthodontics. I just gave a lecture in California in Pleasanton to a group of the toughest orthodontists. I said, pick me a study club where you got people that are going to come in and they're going to hit below the belt all the time. And they did. And this I brought up the same lecture. And I said, let's talk about orthodontic fundamental principles. And first of all, I said, what would be your fundamental principles? And they were going with all kinds of things, fancy names and everything. And then I said, okay, let's just talk about what I think. When I looked at all these clean checks and successful cases and finishes and the best cases that we show in the case galleries, I said, let me see if these fundamental principles can apply. And here they are. You should, all your teeth should start and stop at the same time. It's called simultaneous staging. Because of the new materials we have, because of all the things that we built into the system, your teeth should start here and they should stop over here. Now, passive aligners, 
are not a break in the movement. Did everybody know that? Passive aligners actually do what? They continue on with that movement that's been created for this period of time. Now the passive aligners continue to move those teeth and get better and better. They're finishing. They're finishing those first movements. So simultaneous staging. Here's the key. Anybody treated a crowding case? If you haven't, you can't be in this room. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Moving teeth away from the crowding. Such a basic principle. And all the time I see people moving it towards the crowding, and we'll talk more about that. Does anterior IPR move teeth towards the crowding? Does intruding lower incisors improve or worsen the crowding? So we're going to talk about that. And people say, I've got this lower, I'm on my third refinement, and I can't line this lower incisor. And I've done a ton of IPR, and I can't do any more IPR. Those things are pencil-shaped, and I mean, I just, I'm frustrated. And has anybody ever had a lateral incisor that didn't track? I'm going to show you. I never had that problem. No, serious. And hopefully if I can do nothing other than save lateral incisors and prevent pencil-shaped teeth, I will have done my job this morning. Add and subtract tooth mass. In other words, how often do we have a two-size discrepancy? How often do we have to do IPR? Why do all these Invisalign cases have IPR? You never need those with braces. Root control from day one. I mean, this is like, when the orthodontists are talking to them, they're like, <laughs> impossible. Impossible to get root control from day one. No, it isn't. And the last one, we know that in retention, here's your key, we know that if we expand cuspids like this, watch my arms. They didn't move back, they didn't move forward, they moved out. If I take cuspids and move them straight out in the arch, do you think that creates relapse? Absolutely. The best retention in the world, the best anchorage in the world is moving your cuspids straight out. Those are going to move in like a heartbeat. But how about if we just move them back? in the arch, into a wider part of the arch. <laughs> that, right? That's the number one key thing that most orthodontists are like, yes. In other words, I'm going to be doing IPR in my braces cases now because I know I want those teeth to move back. And of course, we don't want to forget about occlusion because built into aligners is occlusion. In other words, you don't have to move every tooth. You can keep what's good, good, right? And I'm not going to go over all these. I mean, I, I think one of the biggest ones is maxillary second molar lingual cusps. You talk to everybody out there, yeah, you, you expand those lingual cusps, they're just going to drop down, you create all kinds of interferences. No. We can take, with aligners, expand lingual's, I mean, expand second molars, take those lingual cusps and do what with them while we're expanding? Bring them up. That's how we close open bites. And then you can talk about how you want the teeth to fit. Custom embrasure, custom fossa, I don't care. I can live with any occlusion that allows me those protective mechanisms. And again, we just talk about education experience. We're not going to spend a lot of time on that, but you guys are a student of the game. You're here. In Vegas. At a hundred and some degrees, right? Well, not lately with the rain. So you guys have probably all heard this. What are the unique features of Invisalign aligners? 
And we're going to explain each one of these as I go through an example and then go through the same case. We're going to look at that again as we look at it. But it's a pusher. It provides a bite plane effect. In other words, it controls vertical when you want it. And people say, well, that's not good for deep bites. We just adjust something different. Don't worry about that. You can pick guide teeth. In other words, you can pick teeth you don't want to move. Can you imagine? Where else in the world can you do that? And aligning, alignment, leveling, and torque take place at the same time. So let's just quickly show this. This was actually a doctor. Dr. Grossman treated this result. It had already gone through three and a half years of fixed appliances, just trying to move teeth, upright teeth, for implants. Patient had enough of it, and as you can tell, there's no room in there, right? Eh? If we look at the initial records, there's space down here at ground level, but all when we get up at the area right here where all the concrete is, there's no room. Panoramic x-ray, as you know, is not good for root position. It's a good screening x-ray, so you don't use it to look at root position, but it gives you an idea. And when you go down, here's the truth right here. Look at the angle. I know you guys constantly, anybody who's ever heard any of my lectures, goes and takes and draws a line down the long axis of the crown, because we're going to talk about that, and projects it up into the root. So when we look at the initial sort of uh, initial stage, you can see, look at the angle that these teeth arrive. Sorry for that line that's off a little bit. It's supposed to be running right through there. And here's the cuspid, straight up and down, straight up and down. In other words, where are those roots? Centrals are distal. Cuspids are mesial. So what we got to do is we cannot close this space. We need to preserve that space, and what we need to do is nothing other than take those roots, the most difficult teeth to move, and just take them and upright them completely in the right spot. So as you can see here, here's kind of the initial, the clincheck, and what we did is to be able to utilize those basic principles of aligners where we can go in and grab the teeth, we've created in touch points. You know, that's the latest. I, I used to call them like areas where we could push on, but that's the latest terminology out there now in the real world, touch points. How many touch points do you have, right? So touch points, how many touch points do we have on these teeth? And where we don't have touch points, like right here, what do we put on the surface? Attachment for another touch point. What do we do here? We create small pontics. And people say, well, that looks ugly. No, it doesn't. I'll show you a picture of it. It's not ugly at all because the aligner goes in and it doesn't go completely in those areas. It flows over there. It still looks natural. But what we're doing is building in all of these different touch points. In fact, here's the root on that cuspid. And there's no touch point here. So what do you think we did with that tooth to create a touch point here? IPR, no. We move the crown forward. In other words, we just, it's kind of like going backwards. It's, it, people call that kind of round tripping, but we're talking a hair. We moved it forward a quarter of a millimeter to create a touch point on the distal because what we're going to do is create coupling of forces. There's, does anybody see an optimized attachment here, by the way? Not one. Basic principles. So Dr. Grossman says, geez, you know, you really think we can do this? I mean, this really depend upon this. 
These people, this young lady, has been going through a lot, a lot of treatment. We've got to do something. We've got to be able to place a huge implant in there. So here's what we did. This is what we programmed into it. This is the superimposition tool. We actually overcorrected those. We uprighted the roots on all of the teeth, used guide teeth right here. See, those teeth aren't moving. The occlusion's good. Why do I want to move those? What type of tooth movement's taking place here? This is blue, this is white. What type of tooth movement's taking place in those teeth? It's rotation. And what type of rotation? Axis rotation. What's the difficult, most difficult rotation to do? Not a hinge. An axis. Spinning a tooth on its axis. And here we are. Not only are we spinning the teeth, but we're uprighting the roots, so we're adding alignment, torque, and leveling at the same time. The staging, all of the teeth start at the same time except these two because they're missing, right? Those pontics don't move. This is under the staging panel. You can see this one starts. This is back before we had passive aligners, so there's no passive aligners. would have been fantastic if we had passive aligners because we would have taken and moved. There would have been aligners all the way to the end. I mean, uh, tooth... Uh, those teeth would have been moving all the way, probably to about here would have continued to finish that. But you can see these teeth were the ones that moved the most. So here's how we built the ClinCheck. There's where we are initially. Here's where we want to go. There's that progress. So at progress, after five months, we know we're heading there. We've got the battle won. In fact, the periodontist looks at this and says, I just need a little bit more on this one side and I can put the biggest implant. No, we're not going to stop yet. Why? Why not give you a huge space in there? Now, if that doesn't send chills up your spine, seriously. So this is an isolated instance. This is just moving teeth for implants. But how about every other tooth movement you want to make with Invisalign aligners using those basic principles? And we're going to show you that in the next case. There's with the Pontix in. You can see they're overcorrected. We want everything, space that we can get in there so we can hang teeth off of there that's incomplete. So what we want to do now is take a case and we're going to follow that case all the way through with the basic principles. And then at the end of it, I'm going to go in and I'm going to say, okay, today, if we used optimization and used the team approach, what would you see today that we didn't use or see back then? Because this case right here was no G3, no G4, no smart force, no smart track, no smart nothing, except smart up here. And that's not me, and I'm not that smart. That's why I go for basic. Basic principles that allow me to make these tooth movements. Here's some neat statistics, because I think this is what drives the system. This is all in your handout. You don't need to copy down, but I want you to look at it because this is what's going to be. These statistics are tell me which direction I'm going to go in my cases. 83% of malocclusions have measly rotated molars, the class 2. 83% of malocclusions that's been studied more than once. This is confirmed. It's probably higher, but 83%. It doesn't mean it's only class 2s. It could be crowded. It could be everything. In fact, in a spacing case, we want that. 70% have a Bolton. Bolton is a two-size discrepancy. And that's being light on that number. 80% of the population have an interincisal angle when they walk into your office. When you have them bite down an articulating paper, assuming that 
maximum intercuspation is close enough to CRO and they bite down, that initial contact point is what you want to preserve from beginning to end because that's closely related to this. If you disturb it, now you've got to figure out how to be able to get that back and that's, that's fixed appliances. Everything moves out. You lose all your stops. Got beautifully aligned teeth, they just don't fit. And there's the key. Especially in crowded cases, the majority of molar, premolar, and canine roots are distally inclined. And that also has to do with lateral incisors. The root is distal, not mesial. And these are the basic principles we talked about we're going to use on this case. To be able to go from that initial to this in 10 months, no refinements, only using basic principles and some little ellipsoid attachments to upright those. Remember where that tooth was? If you don't, I'm going to show you it again all the way through. So if we use these basic principles, we're going to go through each one of them and I ask questions and I'm going to try and see if we can answer all the way through. Because this is what you're confronted with every time the patient walks in and says, Doc, do you think you can straighten that lateral incisor? They're not going to say lateral incisor, but you know they'll point to that tooth. And you need to know that, yes, I can do it. I can do it in this period of time and I know that I'm going to be successful every single time with it. And the first thing you're going to do is you're going to look at overbite. And you're going to take your articulating paper, you're going to have the patient tap down, you're going to see that this central incisor and this central incisor have an anterior stop that fits perfectly, and that's what the patient uses for their anterior guidance. Now those two teeth, we don't want to move. So that's why I asked the question, do we want to round trip? Is everybody familiar with the term round trip? Proclination. So if I've got crowding and I round trip those lower incisors, what effects does that have in the posterior? I slap my aligner in there. I bring my lower incisors forward. What does it do to the posterior teeth? It wants, they want to come forward. As soon as I create any space in the anterior, if I do anterior IPR right in the beginning, if it isn't for two size discrepancy, I've got to know exactly what I'm doing in there. Because as soon as you create space, if you're not doing something in the posterior to back things up, those teeth are coming forward and it gets more crowded. Okay. So, principle number two, moving teeth away from the crowding getting them back, and getting them out. Do you need to know how much? No. That's where the software comes in. You need to know that a basic principle is, I want those teeth back, and I want them out. How much you need determined by the bone that's there. And which teeth you pick regarding movement. So as I move these teeth back and out, you're going to see where it expands the arch. Is there a two-size discrepancy? Can somebody look in there and tell me that those teeth are definitely bigger or larger or smaller than others? There is. It's actually three millimeters. Three millimeter two-size discrepancy. More tooth mass in the lower than there is in the upper. And if you don't do something about that, if you just put brackets and wires on there, you would either have to leave three millimeters of space in the upper, and I don't think those laterals look small, right? Or you would have to just leave it with a crossbite where you'd expand the lowers and 
that wouldn't fit with the uppers. So knowing that information is really important. How many of you actually look at crown long axis, the root position from day one? So when you look at the anteriors right here, this is perfectly positioned. Where does that one need to go? That direction. Is it going to help our midline? Absolutely a little bit, but you're going to see where we, how we treated this case. How about this one? Basic principle number five. Anybody want to expand those cuspids? But how about moving them back? Moving them back into better area of bone. Back and actually in a little bit. Now we've expanded them and they're stable. And people say, well then, you mean it's going to be more stable in retention? Fantastic, absolutely. No doubt whatsoever. How about picking teeth that actually fit and you don't want to move? And that's what I did in this case. Didn't move this in size or other than rotated, but I didn't move it anterior posteriorly. And I didn't move the molars. So you can pick and choose. You can actually set the guidelines for the technician to move the teeth around. And basic principle number two from the occlusal view. How are we going to get rid of that crowding? What was one of the big things is we've got measly rotated teeth. If we've got measly rotated teeth, as I expand these, as I bring them out, I'm going to rotate them, which brings them back, which creates space to resolve my anterior crowding. I don't want to do anterior IPR and those teeth. They're beautiful. Those maxillary incisors are incredibly beautiful. How about basic principle number three? As I mentioned to you, no IPR. How about this one? How about controlling the roots of those bicuspids? When we bring them back, when we rotate them, if you do any mesial movement on those bicuspids, mesial root torque on those, those teeth won't rotate. Here's the beautiful thing you're going to see later. The optimized attachments that would be placed on those teeth, the optimized attachments that are placed for rotation would not be there if there was root movement. So if there's mesial root movement, that optimized attachment wouldn't be there. So this is what I'm going to show you how the attachments actually dictate and help you with your treatment. Number five, basic principle, cuspid expansion. We're going to do it by bringing the teeth back in the arch. Here's the two size discrepancy right here. So using this tooth as AP guide, how do we get rid of this crowding? How do we rotate that tooth and actually get it into a better position? This is called a hinge rotation. How do we hinge this tooth out and know that that tooth's going to not only go from being in crossbite, but rotating out into the arch? How about controlling the roots from day one? In order for us to have better retention, where do those roots need to go? Because this is our guide tooth. They need to line up with this root. What are we going to do to those teeth? The aligner will bring the root forward and set it into a position. And because we've got ideal function in the beginning, our anterior guidance is built off of that tooth. Now we bring those teeth into that position. You've got much better stability. You are building in retention. You're building in stability in the case by doing that. The cuspids are going to come in and back. That's how we're going to expand the cuspids. And of course, it's pretty crowded, so you're going to see where we have to use IPR.
From the, ante, from, the post, from the side view, you can see again, same principles. But what you want to do is draw a line down log axis of the tooth and find out where are my roots. Here's why I've never had a problem with lateral incisors. Where's the root of a lateral incisor? Almost always, almost always, unless there's impacted cuspid. Distal. All I need to do is push on here. I don't need an attachment. I don't need anything. It's just built. It, all it wants to do, that lateral incisor wants to move back. Why do you think many times people take out first bicuspids? And, the, and in the honeymoon period is the first six months. It's the most incredible time. And the patient's like, fantastic, doc. Look at that. You took those teeth that were so crowded. You brought them back into the arch. You are fantastic. Now, I just have one question. What do you think that is? How are you going to close that extra five millimeters of space in the back? And that's where a little bit of IPR, just looking at, measuring those positions of those teeth. Tooth mass. Most of the time, our bicuspids are perfect for doing some posterior IPR. They're bell-shaped teeth. They allow us to go in there and make those changes. That way, we can take them and we can swing them back into position or swing them out, whatever direction you want to go. That will, the software will determine that. But you need to know that that's the direction you want to go. If you do anterior IPR or anything in this area, those teeth are coming forward. Because as soon as you create space in the front, they're already leaning in that direction, the crowns move faster than the roots, and you're going to end up with more crowded on the case. Control of vertical, controlling the occlusal plane, because this tooth we didn't change vertically, we're going to be able to control the occlusion from day one. So that's why there's no refinements. That's why everything works out perfect. And of course, simultaneous movements. You can see when we look at it, no round tripping. That way it preserves the periodontal. You guys all know how to look at these. White is after, blue is before. When you see the whole tooth come forward white like that, what does that mean? What type of movement is that when you see the whole tooth? That's a bodily movement. Remember those roots in the lower? Did I have to tell the technician to do that? None of this I had to tell them. Nothing. Other than I want those teeth to move back. Basic principles that we talked about. And so what are your choices? Expansion, IPR, and bodily advancement of the lower incisors. So when you look at that, that's how the treatment and actually the, the IPR that we did on this case. And people say that's a lot of IPR. If I didn't do that IPR, I would be taking teeth outside the bone. Two size discrepancy, that's why there's more IPR in the lower arch to accommodate for that two size discrepancy. How about the roots uprighting? It's all done with aligners. No optimization whatsoever than your brain optimization to make sure those teeth move. How about these teeth? They're brought into the arch through the IPR. They're brought into a protective zone, out of crossbite, and controlling the vertical. So controlling all three planes of space at the same time. Not moving selected teeth. Controlling the occlusion. You guys know that you can lighten up the superimposition to look at types of movements you happen. Rotation movements, getting rid of it with the IPR. And you're going to think that we expanded the arch. The only reason we expanded it is because we brought the teeth out. Controlling the roots, swinging them back, and making sure we have enough space in there. So that's the direction that we want to go. If you go this direction, 
with the teeth, you're going to end up with more crowding at the end. The timing of the IPR, unfortunately, when you do this type of movements, you can't round trip. You're going to have to do the IPR at stage one. Is it hard to do? No. On a less crowded case with more overbite, different situation. But being able to control that is really, really important. And this is the axis rotation we talked about, being able to rotate around that. And you can see how, how nicely those teeth moved. And, you know, this is very crowded when you start to look at it. So it's really important that we uh, look at these cases closely from that point of view. There's the root movements. You can see this is all bodily movement, bringing those teeth forward. This tooth has moved very little because that's my guide tooth. Why does this tooth upright so well? What do I have to bring that, grab hold of on that tooth? The lingual, the crown. That tooth is like this, the shape of that second bicuspid, and it'll just upright on itself without any attachment whatsoever. You can see the movements that took place. These crowns move back and out in order to resolve that crowding. Same old dumbbell effect, swing them back. So if you do not do this type of movement, many times you're going to fail. A lot of times, if not, then this lateral incisor needs, the root needs to be kicked measly in order for them to try and rotate it because we didn't upright the tooth or the crown over the root. And again, you can see how we were able to control the vertical plane all the way through the treatment. Now, with the Smart Force features, so what I did is I went in, took this case, and I ran the software to see what optimization would be added to the case and to see if the direction of the forces would be exactly the same as what I planned without attachments. So you can see, these are the attachments that were placed. All right, that's from the anterior view. No attachments on the anterior, no attachments on that lateral. Where's the active force? Right here on this ramp part of the attachment. This ramp part of the attachment, this ramp part of the attachment. So as those bicuspids come back, what's the optimized attachment doing? Just helping me. So does it mean I could probably today treat this case faster? I wouldn't. Does it mean that I could probably do less IPR? Probably. I'd be able to maybe expand a little bit more, get more rotation out of those teeth. But you can see all of these forces are going in the right direction. So when the ClinCheck comes back to me in my office, I look at these attachments and I say, perfect. It's fantastic. Will I make minor changes? Maybe. But the general theme of this ClinCheck is perfect because the attachments are replaced there because the type of tooth movement that I want in the case is taking place. So you can see again from a different view, the attachments are, are placed in a position where they will actually take these teeth and move them back in the arch. And that lateral incisor, once these teeth are moved back, piece of cake. Nice big tooth, push down on it, down and in, and that tooth moves into position. The staging, simultaneous staging from stage 1 to stage 20. And you always look at the attachments here because the attachments are, those optimized attachments work from day 1 all the way to the end. Almost never do you want to remove optimized attachments. Leave them on in the case. The IPR is done right in the beginning. 
because I don't want to move these teeth. I don't want to disrupt my occlusion. So with all of these the optimization, with the new materials, this is going to allow you to look at cases. I can take case after case after case and show you how we can actually program all of that in just by looking at the attachments, by looking at the power ridges. It'll tell you if you're heading in the right direction. So, you most certainly, you've reached the summit, at least in Vegas. But the next summit is still there. And as a company, that's what we look at. We'll continue to provide you with this. And we'll continue to provide you with this. All you need to do is learn these few basic principles that are going to be able to take you to the next level. Because you've got all of that there, and especially a new material that grabs those teeth even better. So less IPR, more rotation, more difficult cases, more control in there is going to be able to take you where you can treat every case. In fact, everybody I talk to, even in the orthodontic community that has that experience, I just don't want to use anything else. So most certainly, it has been a pleasure, you guys.